Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. I want to walk you through Acts chapter 12. Now, I know that Pastor Scott preached on Acts 10 last week. I'm skipping past 11 to go to 12. Is that all right with you? He'll come back and preach 11, and then he'll probably come preach 12, right? And uh, and that's great. I can't wait to hear what he says. All right? So I just want to take some time this morning to walk you through Acts chapter 12. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I forget. Right? Is that you? The, more, the older I get, the more I forget. And, and Tara will send me to the store for four or five things. I get there, and like an old man, I'm walking around the store going, I only have three. I know I'm supposed to have four. She is not going to be happy when I get home if I can't think of number four, right? And some of that is because of distraction. Sometimes we forget because of distraction. While she's giving me the list, I'm on my phone or I get in the car and I'm turning on the radio and I'm distracted and it causes me to forget. I want to talk to us this morning. I want to give us a reminder this morning from Acts chapter 12 that God is in control. Amen. Because sometimes when we look at our world, when we look at everything going on, sometimes we just need a reminder because it's easy through distraction to forget the most important thing. And this morning, one of the most important things that we can be reminded of is the fact that God is in control. Amen. Amen. Listen, he's in control whether we understand it or not. He's in control whether we believe it or not. How many of you know Truth is not determined by whether or not we believe it. Truth is truth whether we believe it or not. And he is in control whether we see it or not. Because sometimes we look around with our eyes and we make a determination. Listen, it's okay to see, but in the end, we got to go to God's word and remind ourselves that God is in control. Amen. God's not stressed out about anything. He's in control and it's not even hard for him. So I want to take you to Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It says it was about this time that King Herod, now let me just say, Herod was a title, not a name, right? This was Herod Agrippa. He was the grandson of Herod the Great, who was the ruthless dictator, who was out to kill believers. He was also the nephew of Herod Antipas, who killed John the Baptist. So this is Herod Agrippa here. So it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John. This is not James, the brother of Jesus. This is James of Peter, James and John. Jesus is in a circle. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the feast of unleavened bread. So there's all these great, great things going on in the book of Acts leading up to this chapter. 
right? We know that uh, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when in the upper room where the Holy Spirit fell, we know that over 5,000 came to Christ in one day. As we read through the book of Acts, we see that the, that the, the crippled were healed, that many uh, were healed. We see that Simon the sorcerer was saved. The Ethiopian eunuch was saved. We know that Philip was transported, right? So there's amazing things going on. But now James is dead and Peter's in prison and they're asking questions, right? And I want to remind us today, first of all, that God is in control even when we suffer. That God is in control even when we center, even when we suffer. I think that in the American church, in the Western church, we have developed a theology for ourselves that doesn't allow suffering of any kind to be of God. When we go through hardship, when we go through suffering, right? And remember, what we consider suffering many times is light. It's like suffering light, right? When we suffer, we begin to rebuke the devil. We begin to question God. Or we immediately pray for God to take it away from us. And yet throughout scripture, the Bible tells us that we will go through hardship. The Bible tells us we will go through difficulty. But when we do, again, we wonder where's God? Well, God forewarned us so that we would be prepared. Listen to James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says that when we go through this much persecution, it's preparing us for this much. God's grace is allowing, giving it to us in small doses to prepare us for what's coming. <laughs> you may not believe this, but I wouldn't lie in Pastor Scott's pulpit. In 2005, I actually ran the Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, D.C. And I got challenged to do a marathon. Now, I had never run any kind of race in my life. You think I would start off with like a 5K and then a 10K? I started with a 26.2 mile marathon, right? So my cousins and some friends challenged me to go run the marathon with them. And of course, I said, sure, I'm overweight, I'm old, and I said, yes. And then Tara said, you said what? (laughs) And I began to train for the marathon. I remember my first three-miler Coming home, telling Tara, I quit. I'm not doing this. My three-miler. And I quit. I called my friends and said, hey, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing it. And then a couple of days later, I thought, well, I'm just going to try a little more. And then I remember my first 10-miler. And I remember thinking, I'm crazy. Excuse me. I'm thinking, what am I thinking here? But can I just tell you that three-miler? That five miler, the 10 miler, the 12, the 20 miler prepared me to cross that finish line at 26.2 miles. And if I had never started at three, I would have never accomplished 26.2. Can I just tell you what we're going through today is preparing us for something. 
It is not for naught. It is not just because nothing else is happening in your life. No, God, God's grace is allowing things to prepare us for what is to come. And even though we're not interested in suffering and many have thrown it out of their theology, God still uses it to refine us as his children. And we need to remind ourselves that when we suffer, when we go through hardship, God is not abandoning us. God is actually moving toward us. It's not a season of God deserting us, but rather God walking right there with us. Can I just tell you, you can take suffering out of your theology, but then your theology doesn't line up with the word of God. And what we believe about God must be found right here in this book. God loves us. God is for us. Can I just tell you, God's love is not a pampering love like you would have towards your children. God's love is not a spoiling love. God's love for us is a perfecting love. He is bringing us to something that is better than where we are. And God's perfecting love has appointed for us, his children, as a season of suffering at times. And we must remember that God is in control even when there are bugs in church. You pick that bug up with your hand. Lord Jesus, pray for me. He's suffering. That's suffering for us. I'm like, Tara, get that bug. No, I'm just kidding. We must remember that God is for us, even that God is in control, even when we suffer, suffer. And because of his goodness, he works it out for our good. Well, how does he do that? Well, let me remind us today that God is sovereign. Right. That God is sovereign, which means he is the supreme authority with everything under his control. I don't play chess. I think I'm not smart enough for chess, but. Tara and the girls started playing chess and I went online and watched some stuff trying to learn. And then I decided I'll just stick with checkers. And um, but if you ever watch a chess master, you will see that it doesn't matter what move you make. He's already always ready with the next move. Right. He's he's one step ahead of you. Can I just tell you, this is a picture of the sovereignty of God. No matter what move you make, God is ready. No matter what move the wicked makes, God is ready. He is always ready to make the necessary to move in order to advance his mission and his good purpose for us. Amen. And we need to remind ourselves at times that Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Listen, God is for us and he's got a good purpose for us. So the early church here in Acts chapter 12 had to be wondering, how is this happening? We've been seeing this great move of God. And maybe you're here today. And maybe you're, you're saying, well, I know there are some people that need to hear this sermon about suffering, but I'm really sincere in my faith. Let me just remind us today. Sincerity doesn't exempt us from hardship. Well, well, I'm really involved in the church and in other ministries. That's awesome. But service does not exempt us from suffering. Well, I've been a believer for a long time. Listen, we need you. We need your wisdom. But maturity doesn't exempt us from suffering. 
Amen? Our theology must be secure in this. God loves me. God is for me. And I can trust him no matter what. God loves me. God is for me. And I can trust him no matter what. Listen. The coming days, you're going to go through things and you need to remind yourself, God, is, God loves me. He is for me and I can trust him no matter what. And can I just say this? We should never say, if God really loved me, he would not. We all go through things that we don't want to walk through. Four years ago, On Christmas Eve, when my 49-year-old sister went home to be with Jesus, leaving her husband and her 9-year-old son as a result of cancer, and I began to wrestle with this. I had to trust that though I didn't understand it, that God was still in control. God was for us. He was with us. And we could trust Him no matter what. And so can you. God God is in control even when we suffer. Secondly, God is in control even when it's midnight. Acts chapter 12, verse 4. After arresting him, he put him in prison. This is Herod putting Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. Now listen to this. Herod put 16 soldiers to guard one man. You know what that means? Herod was wicked, and even he knew that God was in control, right? Herod was wicked, and even he knew that nothing was impossible with God. Verses 5 and 6. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. And the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Think about this. The church is praying. Peter is sleeping and God's not worried. Have you ever been to jail? Come on, be honest. Okay, you don't have to confess. We know. We can look around the room and see. We know. I went to jail once. I was 19 years old. I was on my way to Bible college. I was, it was spiritual. And I got pulled over by a state trooper on... Uh, on I-10 in St. Martin Parish. God, please help St. Martin Parish. I get pulled over. Now, I was going 92 and a 55, but I was trying to get to Bible college. It was Bible college. It was the work of the Lord. I get pulled over, and he writes me a ticket and tells me I had to appear before a judge in court. So the day I went to... I I just want you to hear this story so you can know I relate with Peter. So I go to court. I lie to my mama. I tell her I'm going to play golf. They didn't have cell phones. Wasn't that a great day when you didn't have cell phones? Your parents couldn't find you for hours. I miss those days. I lie to my mama. I tell her I'm going to play golf, but I'm really going to court. I'm thinking I'm just going to pay my ticket. I go before the judge and he sentences me to three days in jail. Hand to the sky. He literally looks at the bailiff and says, take him away. Like I'm this murderer or something. I was going to Bible college. This old bailiff, I'm telling you, we're walking down the green mile. I'm telling you, it was, I am not exaggerating. It was forever. 
And I look at him and ask the question that anybody would ask. When do I come back to serve this? He literally, the old man chuckled. He goes, oh, son, you're here. <laughs> and then I said, what any 19-year-old would say, I can't be here. My mom thinks I'm playing golf. Nobody knows where I am. I get into the jail. They take my fingerprints. They take my mugshot. And there's these three holding cells. The first one is this biker dude. Now, just think of the worst biker guy you can imagine. He was in cell number one. In number two, there was this woman who was wearing very little clothes, right? And I was on my way to Bible college. I knew I couldn't be in there with her. And then in number three, there was a guy just like me waiting for somebody to bring him some money. And the the lady who was over the jail says, put him in cell number one. That's the biker dude. I I literally, I promise you, I looked at her and said, you can't do this. She said, excuse me? I said, look at him. You can't put me there. So I said, please put me in cell number three. So she puts me in cell number three. Make a long story short. So I get a phone call. I, I, I know I get a phone call. I've watched enough TV. So I called my mom. Now, remember, my mom owns her own furniture stores. So I have to make a collect call. And she goes, David, where are you? I thought you were playing golf. I said, Mom, there's something I have to tell you. I lied to you this morning. I had a ticket. I went to court and they threw me in jail. She said, I don't have time to play this. We're busy at this at store at the work at work. I said, Mom, I promise at this time they're bringing this criminal in and he's just cussing up a storm. And that's when she realizes I'm not playing golf, right? And then she says what any good mother would say. They can't put you in jail. Let me talk to somebody. I'm like, oh, my mom said you can't. She wants to, oh, she wants to talk to you. Right? So I'm like, Mom, you can't talk to anybody. Just my brother-in-law, Nick, was the chief deputy of the Lafayette Parish Sheriff's Department. I said, just call Nick. Right? So they take me from there, and they put me in this cell with 12 guys. Me and 12 guys. And they're all talking about their brothers in Angola. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. A little while later, the door opens. It's my brother-in-law standing there. It, it was an angel. I'm telling you, it was, it was light around him. And he said, he said, listen, the judge said you have to spend one night in jail, but they'll get you out tomorrow morning. And they're going to make you a trustee. So this guy, they put me in these orange, uh, these orange coveralls, and I'm washing clothes with this guy who says, hey, man, I'm getting out soon. Can I get your name and your, your phone number and your address so maybe we could connect when I get out? I'm like, yeah, yeah, 111 Street Street, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to give you my... I'm going to give you my address, right? That was the experience. But it's only, I've only been in jail one time, so I'm good, Pastor Scott. All right, so, so the church is praying, Peter's sleeping, and God's not worried. You know why? Because Peter knew that God was in control. We see it throughout Scripture. Psalms 139, he's numbering our days. Psalms 56, 8, I don't know how this works, Pastor Scott is the smartest man in the room. Let him explain it to you. But Psalms 56, 8 says that he saves our tears in a bottle and records them in a book. God's in control. Luke 12, 8, he counts the hair uh, hair on our head. I gave God the day off today. (laughs) Unlike some of y'all. 
And in Luke 12, 25, which of you by worrying can add one single hour to your life? I don't know about you, but I think there are times when we should ask God for forgiveness for the petty things we worry about. For the petty things that as believers who talk about our God who can do anything, and yet we find ourselves wringing our hands and pacing the floor over the smallest things because we've chosen worry over faith. We've chosen to put things in our hands instead of in his hands. Amen? So midnight here represents a deadline. It's midnight and Peter's in prison waiting to be executed and yet he's sleeping. Maybe you're here today and you're facing a deadline. Your family, your job, your finances. The question is, are you stressed, filled with anxiety, or are you giving it to God and trusting him? Because let me just remind you, it may be midnight for you, but God doesn't have time constraints like we do. He's not limited by time and deadlines because God has options we don't have. Remember John chapter 11? One of Jesus' best friends, Lazarus, is dead. And they send word to Jesus that Lazarus had died. Verse, 20, verse 6 of, of, of chapter 11 says, Jesus, when he heard the news, stayed there two more days. I don't know why scripture puts it in there. I'm like, if, if I die and they tell you, and you don't, just don't tell anybody you're going to stay there two more days, right? And yet scripture is clear. Yet Jesus stayed there two more days. You know why? Because he knew who was in control. And then in verse 21, Jesus gets to the house and Mary and Martha greet him. And they're complaining. If you had been here earlier, our brother had not, would have not have died. But listen, he is God and it's not over until he says it's over. Amen. Because God's in control even when it's midnight. So verses 7 through 11, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. Listen, it doesn't matter how late it is, what the hour is, or how close we are to the deadline. He is still a miracle worker. Amen? Amen. And I've gone through things, and you've gone through things, hardships, wondering, why doesn't God make this stop? Why didn't God fix this, right? I don't know about you, but when I go through hardship, when I go through things I don't want to go through, I find myself getting closer to God. Right. I find myself praying more than normal. Right. I find myself getting vulnerable before God. I find myself being really open and honest with God the whole while asking God to make it stop. And I have a feeling God's there saying, no, I like this. 
I like the vulnerability. I like the way you're spending time with me that you don't normally. I think God likes it when we're with him. And so he's like, I will love this. I know I'm in control. Just let me be in control. Right. I don't know how it is with you and your kids, but I love when my kids want to be with me. Right. Our kids are 13 and 15 year olds old now. So we at times, you got to say, come here and sit on my lap. Right. When they were little, they wanted to be with you. Now you got to make them. Right. Can I just tell you, God doesn't want to make us be with him. God likes it when we're with him. And I think that God allows us to go through things to draw us closer to himself. God's in control even when we suffer. God's in control even when it's midnight. God is in control even when our faith is weak. Listen to 12, verses 12 and 13. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. So now listen, just to make sure you understand. They're gathered in the house praying for Peter to be released from prison. Right? Now Peter's released from prison. Rhoda goes to the door to answer the door. Now listen to verse 14. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it. She leaves him standing in the street. To go and tell the other ones that Peter is at the door. You want to see a picture of weak faith? Listen to verse 15. Rhoda goes and tells them that Peter's at the door. And this is the prayer warrior's response. You're out of your mind, they said. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said it must be his angel. In other words, he must have died and his angel has showed up. These people had weak faith. And can I just tell you, God answered them anyway. They had weak faith, and yet God answered them anyway. You go to Mark chapter 9. A father brings his son who's demon-possessed to Jesus. Demons will literally take control of his body and throw him to the ground or into the fire. And this dad comes to Jesus, and he says, Take pity on us. If you can, would you please do something? And Jesus responds this way. If I can, literally with a question mark, if I can. And this is what the dad says. I know you can, but help my unbelief. I believe you can, but help my unbelief. Can I just tell you, I relate to that. Because if you come for me to pray for you for healing... I'm going to pray with all faith that I have, believing God's going to move. If you want me to pray with you over a lost loved one, I'm going to pray with great faith because I believe that God will do that for you. I just don't know if he'll do it for me. There are times when I just don't know. It's that I believe, but help my unbelief. Faith is important. But God's sovereignty supersedes our faith. And that's why God is still in control, even when our faith is weak. We should find comfort and encouragement in the fact that God is bigger than our lack of faith. Verse 16, but but Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. 
They were astonished, beside themselves, that God had actually answered their prayer. God is in control even when we suffer. God is in control even when it's midnight. God is in control even when our faith is weak. And then, lastly, God is in control even when the wicked seem to prosper. Verses 21 and 22. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And as he spoke, they shouted, This is the voice of a God, not of a man. And Herod soaked it all in. If you go to Acts 14, you will see that Peter, God uses Peter to work a miracle there in Lystra. And they literally say the same thing. They begin to call them gods. And immediately the disciples shut them down. Saying, we, we are mere men. He is God. And yet right here, Herod is soaking it in, being called a god. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever wanted God to just come down from heaven and slap somebody for you? Right? Have you ever seen a person or a group of people that are just so wicked and you say, God, if I, if I were God, <laughs> I'd be slapping somebody right now. Right? The Bible teaches us that this is what eternity is all about. Right? That's what eternity is all about. Don't you worry. There's coming a day when God will bring about his judgment upon wicked people. But every once in a while, God gives us a glimpse of his power to those who arrogantly reject him. And it should remind us that if it wasn't for the mercy of God, we would be right there with them. It is the mercy of God that we're here standing under God's grace instead of his judgment. Amen. Can I just tell you, yesterday, uh, the girls and I were driving down to South College, and there was this guy out there preaching on the street. There was nobody listening, but he was preaching, and he was preaching judgment, and he was preaching in such a way that it was like he couldn't wait for God to send people to hell. Can I just tell you, if judgment and people being cast into outer darkness excites you, you don't have the heart of God. Because the Bible says the heart of God is that none would perish. We know that judgment's coming, but our hearts should break over what breaks God's heart. Amen? We shouldn't rejoice in judgment. We shouldn't rejoice in wicked people being lost without God. It should break our hearts. Verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. And I say that's a terrible way to die. Listen, it may look like the wicked are prospering, but remember, there's coming a day when God will be exalted. Verse 24 is my, first, my favorite verse of this whole chapter because Peter was in prison. James is dead. Wicked Herod is, is on his throne. And yet verse 24 says this, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. Because listen, no matter what the enemy throws at us, God is still in control. Amen? God is in control. His kingdom is being, being built. His agenda is advancing, and we have the opportunity to be a part of it. Nothing delays God. Nothing stops God, and nothing is too hard for God. Can I remind you today, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says... 
For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God, help us. Lord, help us this morning that our hearts will be loyal to you. God, in the, in the midst of adversity, that our hearts, Lord, and our eyes would, be not, would not be turned to what we're going through, but they would be turned to our God who will lead us through. God, help us to remind ourselves of 2 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Lord, today, God, you know the story of every person in this room. God, you know what every one of us are going through. You know what every one of us are facing. God, there are people in this room that feel like it's midnight. And they don't know what step to take next. Father, today, we pray that you would step in and do what only you can do. Lord, we know that nothing is impossible with you. you bow your heads and close your eyes I just want to ask you a question maybe this morning you're here and you're like that dad in Mark chapter 9 I believe but help my unbelief you're going through something in your own life or maybe even in the life of your family and you just need a reminder from God that he is in control Many times, can I just tell you, that begins with us surrendering what we're going through to him. You're here today and you're going through something and you need to be reminded that God is in control. Would you do me a favor and just stand at your feet right where you are? You're going through something and you don't know how to face it on your own and you need God to step in. Just stand at your feet right where you are. Can we pray? Father, this morning. Lord, this morning we surrender ourselves to you. God, this morning, God, you know what each person is dealing with. Father, this morning, you know every family represented here this morning. And Lord, today we pray, Lord, that you would step in and move. Father, we surrender. Right now, just say that. I surrender to God. Or so many times we deal with anxiety and stress because we hold on to it for ourselves. When you said, cast your our cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, today, give us the faith that we need to simply cast our cares on you. Lord, to simply believe that you love us enough to walk with us through it, to deliver us from it, or send the help that we need in our greatest hour. Father, today, Lord, I pray, help every one of us in this room, Lord, to daily remind ourselves that you love us, that you are for us, and we can trust you no matter what. God, we trust you today. God, we trust you today with our families, with our finances, with our jobs, with our marriages, with our children. God, we trust you today because you are trustworthy and your track record is good. 
We've seen you move time and time and time again. Father, the fact that we're in this room in church is a testimony to your goodness and your power. Father, we surrender to you and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.